Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, listeners, to the first installment in our Star Trek retrospective series. This is your co-host, Corbin. And this is your co-host, Brad. Alan will not be joining us on this retrospective series. I addressed that in the previous podcast uh, over my thoughts over Men in Black 3. I touched on what Alan is up to in life right now. Don't worry, he will be back, and he will be back to finish up our remaining retrospective series. And we do have some very exciting ones planned for the rest of the year. One of those being we're going to be reviewing all of the Terminator films leading up to this fall's release of Terminator Dark Fate, which I know we're all very excited about to see how that goes. But like I said, we thought this would be a fun time to review all of the Star Trek films. I've seen a number of the Kirk films, and how about you, Brad? How many have you seen? I've seen all of the uh, original cast Kirk films. Yes, I remember a few it was a number of years back we did go through and watch them. I believe we recorded them on a VHS or something back like in, that. Back in the old days when you were young, VHS tapes. Yes. So the first installment is Star Trek The Motion Picture. That's the title. It seems to be kind of a funny title to give a subtitle The Motion Picture, but it was a TV show beforehand, and you watched the TV show when it was first on air, right? That's right, Corbin. I am one of the original Trekkies. I loved Star Trek as a TV series. I, and when they canceled it, I was devastated. And when they played reruns, I was excited. So I think that motion picture title really makes sense to the original fans who were like, wow, now we have not just a TV series, but a motion picture. And that was huge for original Trekkies when that started advertising that they were going to make a film. I'm sure it would be because I know the series, from what I understand, was very beloved and it was pretty sad when it was canceled in 1969 and you would have been a boy, just a boy, and it probably wasn't it was sad. I was a boy of eight or nine years of age and just loving every minute of Star Trek and just really was shocked when it was canceled. I, I think it had a popularity, a, a, almost a cult following that the studios really didn't, they underestimated it, I guess is the best way to say it. And it's kind of funny because by the time the movie came out, December 8th of 1979, you would have went from a young boy to a late teenager. I was a high school graduate. I graduated in 1978. I was really looking forward to the whole new feeling of what, what would Star Trek be like as uh, an adult, if you will, you know, experiencing it as an adult for the first time. And you weren't the only one asking that question because... Getting the series to come to the big screen, that was a different issue than just an hour-long program format, and I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit, how the history of this film came together, because it is a very long history, a very difficult one of how are we going to get this movie made. Gene Roddenberry, who created the Star Trek series, he was very excited about bringing a movie and trying to persuade Paramount that hey, we can make this into a movie. Like I said, I'll get into that in just a minute here, but this film was directed by Robert Weiss, who I learned had never seen Star Trek before. Kind of an odd choice for someone who didn't know the source material. So Gene Roddenberry said, here's 10 of the best episodes, watch it and go forth from there. And it was, it is, it's, I was surprised when I learned that 
Uh, it was written by Harold Livingston and Alan Dean Foster, and the score was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who is a very famous composer. The film did actually receive three Oscar nominations. Now let's see if they surprise you or if it makes sense. Best Art Direction, Best Visual Effects, and Best Original Score. What are your, what are your thoughts on those? Well, that's interesting. Um, I always find it hard to uh, compare because I don't know what ever, all else it was up against that particular year. But I do find uh, it interesting. I, I don't think I, I felt the score was all that great. Kind of see the uh, art direction. From what I remember, the score isn't that memorable, save for probably the scene where they are looking at the Enterprise for the first time. I think that's where the score really comes into play. It's the best moment of. But yeah, best visual effects and best art direction for 79. And of course, this they were working on this in 78. Uh, I was fairly impressed with these visual effects, what they were able to do, especially considering... I've seen some episodes from the TV series, and I'm sure to a lot of fans, this would be a big step up and a big, just a really exciting moment to see that on the big screen. Yeah, it was a decade later and just great advancement in capabilities in motion pictures and visual effects in that decade. So that was exciting. Now, this was only achieved through going over budget, actually. <laughs> the Paramount originally gave them $15 million, and they ended up, these are estimates, between $35 million to $45 million. It was a tough go to be able to get done, and they had to finish these visual effects really, really quickly. Paramount set a hard release date of December 8th, and they said the movie will be out by then. No matter how, what type of finished state it's in, no matter what you think of the end product, Robert Wise, it's coming out then. And we'll talk about what critics thought of it here right now. So currently, IMDb users, which is a good way to gauge what film, people think of film right now because that score can change. But currently, it holds a 6.4, which is modest. It's really nothing incredible. It's not near um, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, which came out around this time as well. That has a much higher score comparatively. A 6.4, uh, that's fine. And if I'm not mistaken, the TV series does have a higher score than this. Now, critically, on Rotten Tomatoes, critics... Only 42% of critics recommended this film. And on Metacritic, which is similar to Rotten Tomatoes, it holds a 48 out of 100. Those are not glowing endorsements whatsoever. But oddly enough, one reviewer, Roger Ebert, he actually liked it. He gave it three out of four stars. He said, this is probably as good as we could hope for for a Star Trek film. It's pretty good from what we got. I think he had a lot of uh, Star Trek love um, uh, influencing his decisions there, his scoring. I found that to be funny, but yeah, he. I think that's where it came from as well. I was also surprised to notice this film is rated G. I mean, I'm, there's really nothing too objectionable in it, but most times you don't see science fiction films carry a G rating because usually there's just something a little scary to them, but right. I guess they felt any audience could see that. I know Robert Weiss wasn't very happy about that, and I think the creators didn't want a G rating because... It's really not targeted towards children. It's more so from, like I said, 
10 years ago um, yeah. when, when people were kids. Now they're teenagers. Yeah, it is surprising. The G was a little surprising. It just seemed like it probably didn't give it as, I don't know if respect is the right word, but it just felt like they probably would have deserved something a little more than that to make it a little more uh, intriguing and uh, in-depth and adult-oriented for, you know, grown-ups. Now, domestically, at the box office, it did fairly well. It grossed $82 million. That would have been much better intake if they could have maintained a $15 million budget, but they made, well, if their budget ended up being $45 million, then they didn't double their budget, which usually is something you want to do at the box office. You want to make back at least twice the money you invested. Um, domestic, uh, well, worldwide, it grossed $295 million, so it still did very well. Right. It still did very well. Um, those are actually in today's numbers. Right. I meant to say worldwide, it was 139 million. Mm. Um, so opening weekend, this is no surprise. It was number one. Mm-hmm. It grossed 11 million dollars. That's completely fine for 1979. A lot of anticipation around it. Absolutely, there would have been a lot of anticipation, and also it was released very close to the Christmas season, mm-hmm. where a lot of families are. It's cold outside, so a lot of people go to the movies, and usually big. Big movies are either in the summer or around the Christmas season, and this was right there. So I think they released it at a very good time. I did find this a funny uh, piece of trivia. So Star Trek was so popular that fans petitioned Gerald Ford to rename the space shuttle Constitution to Enterprise, (laughs) and it worked. Do you remember this? This This was September 17th, 1976, when the space shuttle rolled out. It was... The Enterprise. I do remember that. I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned it, but I do remember that. I never even knew that. They don't talk about that much in the history books, but it's kind of a cool piece of trivia. So like I said, the film began production in 1975, and they put they made a lot of screenplays. A lot of writers were working on the film, but none of the screenplays were suitable, according to Paramount. So they just scrapped the whole idea for a film in 1977 after two years so instead of creating a movie they decided to create a new television show that would have been called star trek phase two now nobody's ever heard of star trek phase two because it didn't happen but another film came out in 1977 right after they scrapped it it's a science fiction film by steven spielberg it's not et but Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ah, yes, I remember it well. So with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they thought, okay, let's give another shot at making a Star Trek film. Clearly audiences have an appetite and respect for a smart science fiction film. And then, of course, with the release of Star Wars, they wanted to continue the franchise. And it made sense. So the story concept of the film actually came from the planned pilot episode of the new TV series. It was going to be called In Thy Image. That would be the opener for the television series. So they said, let's expand this. And like I said, I encourage you to go read the full history on the internet because they had a thousand different ideas of the Star Trek crew traveling into the future and then they'd go into the past at the dawn of man and teach man how to create 
tools and fire and they would be almost the creators of mm. civilization. Some fascinating ideas. They did. They had some really fascinating ideas that I think would have been kind of neat to see on screen, but it was incredibly difficult for them to decide yeah. on an idea. And like I said, because Paramount had a hard release date of Christmas 79, the budget and the actual theatrical cut of the film it it just went out of control the budget ballooned really high like i said and interestingly enough uh, robert weiss didn't have time to cut the film the way he wanted so in 2001 he did actually get to recut the film with remastered audio tightened and added scenes and new computer generated effects i tried to look some up on youtube it, it looked like, it looked mostly like extra dialogue scenes um, it really didn't cut the film down anymore. Um, although I think we both agree from watching it, the film could have used a better uh, editor. It yes. could have been tightened up. Yes. Um, the one thing that I only thought looked better in this new edition, um, which is actually quite hard to get, actually. I think they released it on VHS, maybe on DVD, and they didn't print any more copies. The Blu-ray copy, if you get it, or digital copy... That's the theatrical cut, and that's the one they're sticking with. And the only thing that looked better was, I thought the planet Vulcan didn't look very good, if you'll remember it. It looked kind of like, it looked very fake with Spock in the I opening. Agree. Yeah. They did completely redo that with a new computer animated mm. backdrop. It looked pretty neat, uh, although the problem with redoing visual effects in 2001 is by 2019, they will look dated as well. Sure. So, listeners, we are about to jump into the plot of the film. If you haven't seen Star Trek The Motion Picture and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the film. We actually watched it on Amazon Prime Video. That's one of the major streaming platforms it's on right now along with some of the other sequels. So go ahead and watch it. Come back and click play here on the podcast and we'll be ready to talk about the film. Star Trek The Motion Picture picks up years after where the series left off. James T. Kirk, played by William Shatner, is now an admiral, and Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, who left Starfleet to undergo a Vulcan ritual, is deemed unworthy because of his human half. Hence, he returns to Starfleet. The two of them are tasked with rejoining their old ship, the Enterprise, to understand and stop a gigantic mysterious space cloud that will destroy the Earth in a matter of days. Kirk takes command of the ship, which at first seems to make a rival out of the Captain Willard Decker, played by Stephen Collins. But the two gain a mutual respect for each other, considering Decker now knows the Enterprise better than Kirk, but Kirk has more experience as a captain. After what seems like an eternity, they reach the heart of the cloud. In order to communicate, the entity destroys, but clones, the body of Navigator Ilea, played by Persisus Kembata. The crew of the Enterprise thus learned the Cloud is known as V'ger, whose goal is to learn everything possible and relate that information back to the Creator. When Earth, aka the Creator, doesn't respond to V'ger, to V'ger's request, it deems the Earth unworthy. But, thanks to the manipulation of Kirk, he, along with Spock and Bones, travel to the center of V'ger to investigate further. At the center, they find V'ger is in fact the name of Voyager 6 a 20th century Earth space probe that was lost into a wormhole, which shot it out at the other end of the galaxy where it was repurposed by an advanced race of alien machines 
that reprogrammed it to return to Earth with the summation of knowledge. Realizing V'ger now lacks a purpose, it requests to unite with a human, aka a creator. Captain Decker is all too willing, considering this an opportunity to reunite with his hidden love for Ilea. As the two meld together in a spectacular light show, the crew of the Enterprise witnesses the birth of a new, evolved creation, and in the process, saves Earth. Returning to his captain's chair, Kirk instructs the crew, with a wave of his hand, to go somewhere out there, onto their next mission as credits roll. So I do want to talk about something good this film does, and I will say that it is visually impressive for 1979. I do really like the look of their costumes. I think they're fairly unique and set them apart from other science fiction films, and they do seem to have more of a movie quality as opposed to a TV quality. Although I will say, and this is something we've commented on, it's silly how often they change. <laughs> that was almost comical. It's set within the matter of just a few hours on the same day. They're changed clothes several times, which just seemed from short sleeves to long sleeves. It, the wardrobe didn't make sense, except that they were just trying to show off the creativity of the costume designer. It, that did feel that was the only purpose because they would change into costumes, but they wouldn't even bring it up. And they didn't even use them for any other purpose other than, like, in my clothes. I just felt like changing clothes <laughs> the next hour. Um, I did really think that the outer space scenes and the Enterprise, I thought that all looked fairly well. Of course, they're using miniatures, but I think they were able to capture the scope of the ship and of V'ger and uh, kind of creating that cloud that they had to travel mm -hmm. into. It all, it looked impressive. Yeah, I think those were some of the visual effects that I really enjoyed. And that doesn't surprise me because it doesn't surprise me they got the Oscar nomination. Right. Now, clearly they didn't win, but I thought that right. was good. The other thing that I did appreciate about this film is the storytellers are, they were trying to craft a deeper, deeper than most sci-fi epic than what we've been used to and i've seen some of these kind of plot elements reused later on of you know uh, i'm particularly thinking of interstellar i won't spoil that film but kind of humanity evolves in the future yeah. and how are they able to come in contact and save the earth in that capacity so i did appreciate they were trying to create a smart-ish sci-fi movie that's good yeah i, I would i can see that yeah, and that's one point that I remember you bringing up is, you know, talking about the creator and how do we relate through knowledge and uh, kind of the pursuit of knowledge in that capacity. So I, I do appreciate they took the time. It's very opposed to Star Wars in that matter. I'm glad they're setting themselves apart because Star Wars was blow up the giant space ball. Right. This was different. This this was more existential. You know, who yes. are we in the universe, and what's our purpose? And uh, they, that's that's an intellectual pursuit that I appreciate. It very much is an existential film, and I believe that's um, mostly the worldview of it is kind of who are we, and we even are introduced to that right off the beginning with Spock wanting to unite with his Vulcan culture, but he's not able to because his human half has some sort of feelings and he kind of like 
can understand this creature known as V'ger. So I do think I appreciate that, but that leads me to a different point, a point that kind of did let me down is they exchanged knowledge, kind of more of this existential pondering, and there's really no action to this film. It's mostly just kind of a slow thought process. So that is one of the things that did let me down about this movie is I was expecting a little more action considering the film opens up with some Klingon ships engaged in kind of this battle with this entity later on. But there's really no action to this movie. It's quite slow. Yeah, I agree. You you get the feel with that Klingon battle, especially if you're a Trekkie. You go, all oh, right, the bad guys are back, and you know it's just going to jump right in, and it never happens really. It, you you like you say it it really the plot the whole plot that you just developed for us and talked about um, really develops very slow. Point of the movie, the person who's watching it for the first time takes you a while to really figure out what what is the real point of this story. The other aspect that I wish they would have done a better job with is usually when they adapt a TV series into a film, or even if they are creating a sequel to a movie that has been many years since the previous film, they need to find a way to introduce the characters back to the audience. They can't assume that everybody who is seeing this movie watched all the episodes of Star Trek 10 years earlier not to mention there are it's rated g so there are kids going into this movie and they likely unless they're you know older brothers that are now teenagers or even parents that saw it could tell them who these characters were i have a vague sense of these characters i always have to ask you who's bones who is the scottish one or right scotty yeah. scotty i think that's a great point that you just made that's a very very important development that you would think the writer of something like this would would get the developer because it going from like you say past tv series to the the big screen it is uh you can't just assume a decade later that everybody's going to understand and the last thing you want in any show is for people to be frustrated trying to figure out now what is the interplay because knowing these characters as well as I did, I could see little things in the way they would relate and talk to one another from the get-go. But if you didn't know them and you weren't you know, steeped in the original series, you would miss some of that. Yeah, and that's something that you had to relate to me because you said, oh, Kirk is an admiral now. I've always known him as Captain Kirk, right? And but now he's an admiral. He, he's not even associated with the Enterprise. All of that was very confusing to me coming in. Well, in his interplay with Dr. McCoy, Bones, as he's nicknamed, it's, it's, Bones is really gruff and grumpy, and, and you're wondering, you don't know that about him, you know, and you don't know that about their interplay with one another uh, unless you're steeped in the series. The other part that of this component that I did find to probably be more so troubling for 79, this would be a lot easier for audiences now who could pull up, up these character you know, profiles on their smartphones. Sure, that's true. But in 79, I don't know. I, I guess there were probably reruns of the show on TV. There were, but then the, the consumer, who knows how many had really actually seen that because the whole market was totally different back then. Much different options of how you would, would see it uh, without, if you didn't have cable TV, you didn't always get those reruns. A lot of the reruns in those days, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of the reruns were on cable TV. And a lot of people did not have cable TV. 
So one of the things that I did find to be bad, and we've touched on it already, is the runtime. I would say this movie is it's dreadfully paced. The pacing is way too slow, especially the first act. I'm fairly intrigued, actually. The second act, I'm not. I did actually doze. I started dozing because mm-hmm. the yeah. the sequence of they're going into V'ger and they're going more and more into it, that feels like it takes forever. It really does. And in, in, in fact, they lost me a little even earlier than that when the very opening, is it the opening scene or near the opening when they first see the the Enterprise or when it's first, yeah. the, it just takes forever. Ever as the panning the ship and going all around the ship from the outside. I mean, they're just so proud of that ship. It was taking forever. And there's no dialogue going on. It's nope. just, look at this beautiful ship. Sure, we all love the Enterprise. It's a cool ship. But let's get on with the show. Yeah. And, it just, so, and that just kept happening. Uh, at about every different part of the ship that they would introduce... Or the dialogue, it just it just got painfully slow. The pacing was horrible, as you mentioned. We I remember bringing that part up. It's comical nowadays for them to see this in 2019, for them to spend a, almost a solid five minutes panning different shots of the ship. Clearly, it doesn't take that long right. in a spacecraft for them to go, but it's it's almost in real time. It's really surprising. The other thing that I thought was bad is... There really isn't a bad guy. There really isn't. I mean, they do introduce an antagonist that this space cloud is destroying Klingons and Starfleet people alike, but it's not a it's it's there, not a presence. There's, there's just not enough conflict. Right. There, there just isn't. Uh, there, there's not this immediate threat. There's this perceived threat that you know if this continues, it will eventually get to Earth. But there's no immediacy of danger. There really isn't, and especially considering they said this is going to destroy Earth in a matter of, and just it's going to be very very soon, but yet they take they take their time right about it. So they set up a dichotomy that doesn't work very well there. And I know the writers of the movie. I read some of their quotes. They were really troubled about we created an unbeatable force hmm. that's. Millions of years ahead of everybody else. It's it's unbeatable. It's unknowable. We've created the unbeatable bad guy. Yeah. What do we do? We just wrote ourselves into a corner. So I know the writers were really troubled about that. And I will say I did kind of like the reveal, though, that it was Voyager 6. And they kind of give this explanation. It was repurposed to go back through the galaxy. And it had been accumulating things and it was redone. But at that point... There's maybe 10 minutes left. It's just too late. Yeah, I thought that was clever, but way too late. And you got to hook your audience right away uh, with that. And they unfortunately saved that hook for, well, the hook was at the climax. It, It was kind of odd with that. And I will say that knowing what comes next, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, they are going to have a bad guy, Khan. We're going to be talking about that in our review next week. And that's no surprise, though, not just for this, but because by that point, people had fallen in love with the villain Darth Vader in Star Wars. He was... The villain concept was really important. Yeah, He was so strong, and so that's why we're going to get a very strong villain next week. But we'll, we'll save our thoughts over that for now. So, Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for Star Trek The Motion Picture? 
Well, Corbin, I, I think that seeing it, it was really great to see it so many years later uh, because I hadn't seen it in you know a number of years when when we watched it together it was it was a number of years earlier I had a, a greater appreciation for the intricacies that you've brought out in this review like the pacing and the, the script and the character uh, uh, failures and some of those uh, interactions so considering all that I actually probably rated a little lower now than I would have originally because originally I was just like wow we got a Star Trek movie this is awesome you know and and just wasn't sophisticated enough of a viewer to consider all those things that you've taught me really and uh, but I think I would give it a six and that's low but yet you know there's just this trekkie in me that wants to always every now and then i'll revisit it just just because i want to see captain kirk again or something when he first emerged or something but it's definitely uh my least favorite and that would make sense that it carries a nostalgia for you that yes. it doesn't necessarily yeah carry that's the me. word it's that nostalgia that just it, i'm gonna give it a sentimental edge there so you would give it a very what kind of a recommend? very wobbly six. Uh, <laughs> just more of a mild recommend. Mild recommend, definitely. I mean, it, and really, it's just not. I mean, the only and the knowing that the only satisfaction the viewer is going to get out of it was that nostalgic feel. Oh, well, it's good to see those guys again together, you know. But it's just not a great plot. Yeah, Star Trek: The Motion Picture for me is a disappointingly weak first outing for the beloved franchise. I appreciate they're trying to strike a smart balance between 2001 A Space Odyssey and Star Wars, but without creating solid intrigue or a corporeal bad guy, the movie just falls flat. I did fall asleep during our watch through and we had to finish it the next night. The visual effects look good and the final reveal is unique considering this will be somewhat re replicated in future sci-fi films. But I can't recommend you spend over two hours watching this one. Star Trek The Motion Picture gets five stars out of ten with a not recommend. But next week we will be giving our review of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and I'm pretty excited to talk about that one. I'm pretty excited too. That's, that's one of my favorites actually. Yes, many fans really do love this one, and I'm excited to give you kind of the history in the background about how this movie came together, because this one was such a struggle, and then it didn't really pay off right. with people the way they thought it would, <laughs> but their second effort did pay off. So we will be talking about that next week. So you will not want to miss out on that review. So if you haven't clicked subscribe already, go ahead and subscribe and you can subscribe either on Podbean or iTunes or on Google Play. So listeners, make sure to share this with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. We love growing the Silver Screen Guide community for us to engage and learn from each other about what our favorite films are, what we notice, and what we missed. And I love bringing that up uh, as well through these reviews and learning what you all thought also, if you do want some more reviews, if you want some bonus episodes, some audio commentaries, you want to ask us, do a Q&A with us, you want our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, then go ahead and head on over to our Patreon page, where for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee, the coffee you drink, sure, it's good, but then it's gone. But this content is yours to keep, even if you just give a one-time donation 
whatever you get for that is yours. It's not going to go away. So that is a great way for you to get more content, but also for you to help support us here for us to keep the lights on. It does cost money for us to have storage and bandwidth, and that's a fun way for you to get more out of it as well. And it does also help keep this show free. We will always have a free Monday show, and that is thanks to your support. So go ahead. Also, if you haven't already, you can subscribe on Facebook and Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest uh, Silver Screen Guide puts out. Also, if you're like me and you enjoy getting that email every Friday, go ahead on over to our website where we have more than just podcasts. We also have written articles. We have guides. Oh, go ahead over to our YouTube page where we have some really great videos as well. I mentioned 2001 A Space Odyssey just recently, and I have a breakdown of that entire film. It has tens of thousands of views, tons of engagement. Go ahead over there and leave your thoughts. I'll be curious to see what you think. I've got a lot of great thoughts over there on that video as well. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us here on our first review for our new Star Trek retrospective series. And thank you, Brad, for joining me. Hey, it's been fun. Thank you, Corbin. We will see you next week with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan.